You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology. All these professions that are going to need to be disrupted because ChatGPT is definitely a disruptive tool, these professions are going to transform themselves, will need to transform themselves. Hi, and welcome to the In Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison. With me, as always, is my co-host, Camille Moorhart. And today we have Nicholas Babin. He is president of Babin Business Consulting, a European Commission digital ambassador, member of the Top Link Expert Group of the World Economic Forum, and a globally recognized key opinion leader in new technologies. He's a serial entrepreneur with experience that spans startups to multinational tech giants globally. He has successfully helped innovative companies achieve profitable growth and key business goals. So welcome to the podcast, Nicholas. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Camille. It's great to be here. Really looking forward to this. Yeah. So today we want to take a topic that generally everybody's heard about if you're in the tech industry recently, and that's chat GPT and more generally generative AI. So can we start first with how do you describe ChatGPT and generative AI. So ChatGPT is a great tool. It's not the only one. You have others like Notion AI. You have Bard from Google, but uh, ChatGPT is the one that got the most traction and engagement today. I would describe it as a uh, human augmented tool. So let me explain a little bit about, about that. I was part of the team that invented Ibo. It was a talking dog launched back in 1999, the first AI-based robot. And we thought we would looked into ethics around AI because it was the first one, right? So we had to invent everything from scratch. We invented the way to communicate with a robot. And the way we did it at the time, because we didn't have the technology, nor the bandwidth, nor the latency and all these that we can find today, was to pre-record about 100 sentences. So Ibo would understand 100 sentences. And you can ask Ibo, take a picture, in English, in Japanese, uh, we also had French software and German software and Spanish software, obviously. And we could communicate in simple words and simple sentences with Ibo. What we find today is the fourth version, because it's GPT-4 that was just launched last week, of a uh, human augmented tool that has already indexed absolutely every single information that exists digitally on the web and can get the right information at the right time, but differently depending on also your own use of it. What I mean is that Tom's use or Camille use of ChatGPT or GPT-4 will actually be different than mine because I have a different way of communicating. I have different interests. So no two people asking ChatGPT at the same time, the same question will get the same answer. I hear a lot of people saying it's revolution. Bill Gates said that, said the most important revolution today in terms of tech. To me, it's an evolution. We're on a journey. That journey started even before Ivo back in 1955 when they invented the term artificial intelligence at Dartmouth. It's part of this evolution and it's part of making sure that at least human is augmented. What I mean by that is that humans will get the boring tasks, the mundane tasks done but human needs to be at the center of ChatGPT. That's basically how I see ChatGPT today. Can you describe a bit just about the technology itself? 
most people don't really understand how this works. I hear about generative AI, but mm -hmm. it's a bit of a black box. So can you help illuminate what is it? How does it work? I can't explain how AI works and how generative AI works, but in details about ChatGPT, I've not looked into it. Yeah. But basically, the way it works is you have an architecture of an algorithm, which is based on the neuronic architecture of the brain. They started to work on it in 1993. And the idea was how to get information processed and how to get information stored, because the way the human brain works is you answer based on your knowledge, you know I guess we do it naturally, but basically the brain knows where the information is stored, gets the information from there, and it goes extremely fast. I mean, obviously, it, there's no latency. You know, Tom asked me a question and I answer immediately because I, I know how to use my brain. And that's what we did when we started to work on, on artificial intelligence. So what I understand from ChatGPT is that it has indexed. So it's you're talking about a very, very large database, what we call the big data any type of information has been entered into that database or structure. And what, what's really interesting is the fact that today you could get any type of data. So you're talking about emails, you're talking about videos, audio data, Word documents, Excel, spreadsheet, anything with technology the way it is can now be recorded into this architecture. And based on that, the natural language processing element of it is capable of understanding the sentence, understanding the main subject of the sentence, and going into that big data in a very fast way. And that's how ChatGPT does it. So th that basically is really a 10,000-mile view of what ChatGPT does. You you're talking about years and years and years of investment from Google, from Microsoft, from all these very large companies that have poured in billions of dollars. We're seeing some emergence already of commercial applications, yes. like Microsoft is using the basis of ChatGPT for the search engine, Bing, next generation. Correct. And uh, because what ChatGPT has done, which is extremely smart, is that they've done some bridges between programs. And so you can just put as a base ChatGPT and then literally have it in Word, in Bing, in anything. So it's like asking Bing, find me information, and then automatically you will get that information uh, done. So it's it, we're really at, at the level where it's much higher than what we've, we've experienced until now with Google or Bing or, or whatever uh, searches. What uses do you see of ChatGPT? I think there's like these sort of carnival use cases that people are kind of coming up with right now where it doesn't really do anything. It's just sort of a little entertaining that computer seems to be sort of talking back to you. But how do you see the chat GPT use cases evolving in what I would say is maybe a more professional context? Every single profession today can use chat GPT. In education, students could use it. Professors could use it. And I know I, I hear a lot of people say, yeah, but that's very scary. Or we're going to lose our jobs. When we first launched Ibo, I had the exactly same reaction. People are saying, oof, a robot, oof, that's scary. Oof, what is going to happen? Is it going to take my job away? And this is exactly where we are today, where all these professions that are going to need to be disrupted, because ChatGPT is definitely a disruptive tool, these professions are going to transform themselves, will need to transform themselves in order to maybe focus on what's most interesting in that job, 
doctors can use chat GPTs because at the end, when they have to do a report on the procedures that they have performed or on a simple uh, appointment that they had with a patient, they can use chat GPT. Customer support, the customer experience is going to be improved because we've all experienced chatbots at the beginning where <laughs> press one, if you want to talk to somebody in English, press two, if you want to talk to somebody in Spanish. And then after that, <laughs> I think we've all had that experience. Well, with chat GPT, it's not going to happen again. So, you know, I think the question could have been different saying which job is not going to be affected by chat GPT. And at this stage, I don't think I could answer that question. So a few months ago, I downloaded one of the beta versions and asked it a question about kind of a science question, bird-friendly power line design. Can you give me some examples and tell me more about this? And it provided a fairly detailed answer, and I asked it for references, and it provided me references, and I couldn't find the references, and I came back and asked it, I can't find the references, help me. And it said, I apologize for the mistake in the previous answers. None of the references I listed exist. So it actually generated what looked very much like scientific references, because it knows how to do that. Yep. And maybe it wouldn't do that today because this was a few months ago, but it's a natural language model and it's using the internet to learn. And then I think you also described at the edge, it's then maybe doing some federated learning to customize for every one of us who's talking to it. Mm-hmm. And it also is generative. So it can concoct things that maybe, you know, out of all of the language and all of the internet that maybe don't actually exist. Can you help us understand like the implications of that and how we can protect against that? Nicholas, before you jump in there, just just real quick, Camille, that question, to me, in any other setting, I would say it lied to you. Yeah. It said something that, in the end, it knew it wasn't true, and then it it admitted it, so it's probably better than a (laughs) four-year-old, a four-year-old to just keep lying, but at least this one, it lied to you, and then it said, oh, I'm sorry, I lied to you. Well, to be honest, it couldn't lie because it couldn't invent a story. The story has to come from somewhere, right? So. I have to say that the last version as well, ChatGPT3, one day uh, a client asked me for a bio and I had really a short period of time. So I just put on ChatGPT, I said, write me a bio about Nicholas P. Babin, born on April 966 in France. And the beginning was superb. And then the end, he got me mixed up with somebody else. So suddenly I found myself with a bio that I couldn't use. And I have n- still no idea who that other bad. I hope is. it didn't write in your death, too. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found that yet. <laughs> um, we're talking here about a piece of software based on AI. We're talking about glitches, definitely. But the thing is, as you rightfully said, maybe now with GPT-4, it would be different because I used ChatGPT-1. I've been involved with natural language processing since the beginning because, again, of Ibo. And believe me, the, the first version and second version were not even worth talking about. The third one started to become more and more because, again, you could have very good examples, but you can still have some bad experience. And this is actually is comforting for me because it still puts human at the center. So you need to make sure that at least what you did, everybody does it because you're right. One thing that ChatGPT doesn't do is that it doesn't give you the source. That, to me, is a problem, frankly. It's surprising that he told you that he made a mistake and that the, the, the sources didn't exist because where does do they come from? So there was a glitch, I guess. And again, I'm pleased to see that uh, you know human needs to stay and remain at the center of all this because 
Otherwise, to me, it's going to be going places where we really don't want it to go. Because it's a natural language model, and you had mentioned even with Ibo, French, Spanish, German, English, maybe Japanese, and I'm yep. not sure a few others. But um, I know this has maybe been an issue or was an issue initially with the internet, where vast majority of content going on on the internet was in English to begin with, and then sort of expanded as the basis or the underlying model of chat GPT starts generating things like, say, movies, I imagine eventually we'll move from language like audio to video, and it'll be generating things like movies, mm -hmm. it's going to have to be pulling from what exists already to learn from it. So does that mean we're going to have more and more content that it's generating is kind of siloed into s certain kinds of languages and not being able to replicate other things or, or sort of provide a very curated specific version of humanity because it's only able to look at what already exists? As of today, absolutely, yes. But language is not an issue anymore. You've all heard of Deepol, the uh, AI-based translation tool. I use it all the time. I mean, I speak fluently English, French, and German, but I make mistakes in the three languages, definitely. And so you can put a whole Word document, you can put a, a whole PowerPoint document and Depot will just translate it fantastically. My wife is American, so regularly what I do is, before Depot, I used to ch check by her. You know, it's like, can you tell me if it's really, there's no mistake or whatever. And <laughs> and now I don't need to do that anymore. With Depot, it's, it's just crazy. So we're coming at a point where not only natural language, what we can see with GPT-4 and things like that, but also where languages are not an issue anymore. I mean, at the European Commission, for example, use an earbud that translates automatically. Normally, you have somebody in a room that has, a, has their help <laughs> to trying to understand the, and it's a very, very difficult job. I've, I've done it before. It's extremely hard. But now uh, with technology, we've been able to avoid having these people. And if both of you have those earbuds, you understand your language in your earbud and the person uh, in front of you understands their language. And that's also based on AI. So as of today, definitely, to answer your question, is definitely with languages, you could find yourself a bit stuck into what's available on the internet, but more and more, everything is available in every single language. The world is becoming smaller already because we were better with airplanes, with uh, trains that go extremely fast, with things like that. But I think the world is going to become even smaller because everybody's going to be able to talk to everybody thanks to technology. And that's what I call tech for good. Well, to me, it's like we're marching fast towards the future that Gene Roddenberry made with Star Trek. So the earbuds, that's the universal translator. ChatGPT is like the whole starship that they could ask it any question and it would always come back with the answer. And yeah, no, not always come back with the answer. Uh, sorry, I'm interrupting here. But sometimes ChatGPT says, I'm sorry, you know, I cannot get the information for you. Yeah, just like the Starship said sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to change it up just a little bit and ask you about some of the stuff that we've heard. This is a while ago, but it was about really the creative arts mm -hmm. where people were using AI to paint a picture or to stylize things. How similar or related is that type of work to what we've been talking about? around generative AI? It's generative AI for art. It's exactly the same thing. You can say, draw me a uh, frog wearing a, a, an astronaut 
helmet or whatever uh, on Mars with uh, blue colors, and it will do it. So the combination of both ChatGPT and those tools, because you have several of them, actually make something that is really unbelievable. And why today it's going to be even more important is that, you know, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, they are on the market already and a lot of people are using them. So you could potentially create a piece of art that is unique because it comes out of your brain and uh, you created it using a tool and then start selling NFTs around that piece of art. We haven't started to talk about metaverse, but metaverse using NFT as the main economical token, if I could say, to exchange, to create an economy, you know, and this is why I believe metaverse is going to take off because back in 2000, when Second Life came up and Sony had invented also a home system, we couldn't see it really taking off because there was no economy around it. We didn't know how to make money out of that. Whereas today you have large companies, I mean, we're talking about Nike, talking about Google, talking about Meta, Carrefour in France, the big retail store. These guys are pouring in money. And also you have people going in, exchanging those NFTs. And so you definitely can lose money, you can make money, but you're starting to be in a digital world, half physical, half digital, with its own economy. And this is why generative AI for art, for music too, it's something that's going to be extremely powerful. And it's, it's pretty impressive. You do have an episode, actually two episodes on non-fungible token or NFT, if people are curious about diving more into that and kind of what it enables. So what kinds of technologies or policies or checks do you envision emerging so that we have any kind of a sense that if we're asking for something that Nicola Babin said, it's really you, you can attest to that, or we're sure that you generated it. It's not just coming up with something based on other things you've already said or videos it sees of you online. And that's a very difficult question. Um, the only way to me, I would see is, is it by using blockchain technology, then you can make sure it's me because, you know, it will be date stamped from my own digital signature and things like that. But I mean, I think you're heading in one of the directions I can imagine. It just seems like there has to be a way or there will soon have to be a way for any of us to know that what we're looking at was truly generated by the person that any model is telling us made it right. This is a piece of art or here's an audio clip or a video clip. Is it a video clip? I don't know. I see it what can generate them, right? Based on real images. So I know that many, many large companies like Google and others are working on this issue about copyright as well. So it, it's not exactly mm-hmm. what you just asked me, but it's part of the of the problem because I created this frog on Mars. How can I make sure that at least nobody else is going to use that and make money out of it? Well, but interestingly, though, even in that example, you didn't actually create it. Correct. Because the the AI tool is using pieces that other people actually created, and it's piecing elements of that together. So it's like a composite of other people's work, which... But having said that, the final version, it's mine. That's right. And And that's where the issue is. So who owns the copyright of that? Is there a copyright for the frog? And then the copyright for the astronaut helmet, and then a copyright for the blue colors, and then a copyright. You know, it's like ChatGPT. Who owns the copyright of an article that you will write about birds or or, or whatever, uh, right? 
Because basically, yes, you ask ChatGPT to or, or any generative AI tools to create that piece of work, but behind it, it has taken it from so many sources around the internet who will get uh, access to that copyright. I think we should think about how we can solve these problems. But what I'm saying is uh, it's part of the disruption process. Again, I started that by saying we're in a journey and we're learning. What I'm saying is here, let's trust humanity and let's be optimistic for once that we're going to find a way to feel comfortable in terms of all these tools. But the only way to me to feel comfortable is to ensure that human is at the center of all this. If we forget about humans, then we're going to find ourselves in difficult situation. Well, Nicholas, I think we've come full circle now. It's been a really interesting conversation. And I, for one, am walking away with a hope that maybe I could actually paint a picture for my house. Because <laughs> I know in the physical world, that will never happen. But I appreciate you coming in and talking with Camille and I. It was a great topic. Thank you very much for the invitation. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.